say they like coast to coast, but on demand, raw and uncut interviews, and all without no ads. Once it's false, and once that's true, and the Rachel Sink grows too. America, America is here for you. Stories from the listeners, they sent to Graham. He'll read them and be amazed, but Darren may say no. One says red and one says blue, but if it's false, it just won't do. America, America is here. Okay, guys, welcome back to the Grand America Show. We are going to be chatting about Egypt a little bit later with Dr. Carmen Bolter. But first, as always, Graham, I don't want to be pulled over for driving too slow, Dunlop. Hey, buddy. How's it going, buddy? Good. How you doing? Uh, your mic, my, your mic my isn't working. Audio. It's not working. It's not working. Oh, <laughs> That's nice. Hey, how's it going? <laughs> You had your mic turned off? <laughs> That's nice. Well, good. Good. We're recording in the car for the first time. How's my volume levels? It sounds good. Okay. Yeah, you sound good. You're getting past. So what Are you about okay with that? <laughs> Are you okay getting past? <laughs> you seem to have a real issue with it. So I'm forcing Graham to drive the speed limit. It's cut, hard. To cut down on the car noise. It's hard. Well, we record and he's at you. Graham seems to have a real issue with being passed on the highway. I think it's just because I got a mic in my face. That's the real <laughs> thing. <Yeah. laughs> and people can see you. Yeah. They're like, what's going on? Yeah. Oh, well. Whatever. Whew. We should have put the Grimerica show decal on the door. Yeah. Oh, he's talking. To <laughs> <laughs> anyway. So. We are driving back from skydiving. Actually, before we say that, we should just mention Car- Dr. Carmen Bolter is coming on after. Yeah. yeah our little rambling. I and uh, she did the, the Pyramid Code, and she's got a, a new a new show coming out. I think it's going to be on Netflix, too. I'm not sure, but it's called The New Atlantis, I think, or something like that. Oh, that's and, right. Um, and they got, is next week, uh, is next week. James Brown? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, oh, so it was a double header on, on cool pyramids and Egypt stuff. That's right. Yeah. So yeah, it's a really great chat with uh, with Dr. Carmen Bolter, and that was a fun one. I think Graham's going to do a little video surprise for you guys on this one. So yeah, maybe like a YouTube video yeah, with videos. her presentation and stuff. So. Apparently, video is nothing, and Graham's just going to pop it together. So we'll send you the link in three months. <laughs> Thanks for your confidence. That is confidence. Like, I'm thinking <laughs> that's never. even gonna. Yeah. <laughs> so, what'd you think of skydiving? Yeah, thanks. Big thanks to James Nation and Nads for taking the skydiving. Uh, and who? Where do we go? Big sky big, skydiving. Big sky skydiving. Yeah. <clears throat> it's about an hour and uh, fifteen minutes north of Calgary, and it was amazing. Eh? What do you think? Well, it's gonna take a little longer than that to get home. Right, because we're going the speed limit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it was awesome. It was awesome. Big thanks to Dave for tying himself to me and making sure I don't kill myself. Yeah, and I went tandem with Kelsey. She's apparently uh, one of the one of the best skydivers in the world. I think they they were touting, and she was a bit humble about that. But 
So, uh, yeah, they dropped us uh, tandem at 12,500 feet, a little bit more, maybe even 13,000. And we got quite a bit of free fall, it seemed like. Well, I went went by slow the vi- for me. The video seemed to be short. Seemed short yeah. but it felt like it was a long time. Yeah. And then when they pulled a shoot... Um, I'm glad we chose to go tandem the first time, though, because, I mean, you can't just jump out of the plane yourself. Right. So, I mean, but that was the best way to do it, I think, because you got the free fall and the parachute ride was fucking crazy. Yeah, that was the most crazy thing for me. I didn't realize how much of a roller coaster ride they put you through after they pulled a shoot. Like, I was, my guts were all over the place. I was ready to puke pretty oh, much. Yeah, you I was pull like, that I thought, cord to the right. I thought, and holy, just, how are we spinning around like this? I was uh, you pretty, go in, you go into moments of fucking. I, there's moments of weightlessness that I had yeah. up there. Absolutely. It yeah. was crazy. Like, I had that feeling. The first time it freaked me out, and the second time I was able to be aware that that I was fucking at zero G. Just like... Yeah. Flying. Yeah. Yeah. And then I was at fucking probably 20 G, or I don't know what kind of Gs you're pulling. No, it can't be 20. No, I can't, I you can't, can't survive over, like, three or four. <laughs> no. around. I don't think. No. Five max, maybe. Really? We were probably doing, like, two Gs. Two max. Gs. <laughs> I'd like to know, though. They probably know. Some of those guys that we were watching afterwards were coming in for landings at, like, 70 miles an hour, they yeah, said. Yeah, that's crazy. That's crazy. The landing was the craziest part. Really? Because, well... Because you couldn't the, get your feet up? <laughs> yeah, it was probably, like, after the parachute ride. Well, I don't I understand. Be, because everything else kind of happened real fast. <laughs> like, jumping out of the plane happened fast to me. It happened faster than I expected. So, yeah, there was no like lollygagging around the, thinking if you're going to go, you're yeah. like, step up and yeah, you got to like, go. You step like, up and it's rock. And I'm like, holy fuck. And then one. And then we didn't even go to three. He tricked no, me. I He's didn't. like, ready? He's like, what? Ready, set, boom. <laughs> and then we did a front flip out of the plane. Yeah. And it was fucking, then you're just falling. And James was out there uh, videotaping you with his GoPro with great, great shots. And then uh, Nads was out there videotaping me. Um, it was fun. It was awesome. I am going to do the course, I think. You're going to do the course? I'm pretty sure. Uh, sucked in right, right, right away? Yeah, I got I to gotta get to the point where I want to do the flips and fly by myself, and I want to do it all. So I got to do at least five more jumps before I can even do that. Yeah. But, I mean, tandem was still fun because he let me drive the parachute for a while, but he drove it way, way the fuck crazier than I did. Yeah. Um, but the landing, you had a long time to think about, right? It's like, boom. You're out of the plane and you're falling, and it's like that takes a second to get used to. Yeah. And then you enjoy that. After about, well, it felt like a couple seconds, it's probably like a few fractions of a second, really. Felt like 10 seconds, maybe I was freaking out, but it was probably more like three seconds. And then, because when I watched the video, it seemed like time went by a lot faster, and I was thinking it was while I was falling. But the free fall was cool. Did some spinning, some high fiving. Yeah, the first few seconds was pretty intense because you're Holy kind of fuck. upside down. You're looking yeah. at the plane and everything. You watch the plane and fly away, and then yeah. you look down and you're flying towards the ground. And I'm like, "Holy fuck!" Yeah. And then, uh, and then the you get wind used catches to that. Your cheek. Yeah, and the parachute I was not ready for. The wind didn't catch my cheeks as much as it caught your cheeks. Your little chubby cheeks are just <laughs> flapping in the wind. We will upload the video eventually. Um, it's pretty good. Graham's cheeks really get going. And um, I was not ready for the fucking parachute to pull either. That was pretty... 
pretty I'd intense. like to be in control of that and know exactly when that's going to happen. Because I didn't really get what well, Buddy gave me the thumbs up. Did he? And I guess that was worth stopping, but that was never discussed. It was Dave. Dave gave me the thumbs up. Yeah. But we had never discussed that thumbs up means get ready. <laughs> Maybe we did, and I was just too fucking... Excited. In the moment Excited, to fucking... Yeah. Well, you weren't hit. in the moment or you would have heard him. <laughs> <laughs> I was in the moment of looking out the airplane window. <laughs> Dave's instructing me on things. But anyway, he gave me the thumbs up and I was like, yeah, thumbs up. And then, <laughs> So I've got a fairly big bruise on my leg. But uh, it was awesome. And then you think the parachute ride is going to be like, okay, well, now we're just going to... Slowly float yeah, straight yeah. down to the ground, no, and all of a sudden, that's not the even craziest close. part of it. We're fucking turning right and spiraling left, and you're going down like crazy, and then all of a sudden, you go into like, and you're weightless, and then, yeah. oof, you're free falling again for a half a second, and then you're like yeah. twirling around again, and then like, I steered for another for a thousand feet or something, then at a thousand feet, he took over again, and then you've got a thousand feet, which is probably thirty seconds. No, it's not even that, man. Yeah, and no. the parachute? Uh, I think it's close to that. You think so? 20 to 30 seconds to fucking think about this landing. And you're going way faster than you picture it, right? Yeah. In my head, I picture I'm floating straight yeah. down nice and <laughs> yeah, easy. Yeah. And that is not the case. You're, like, coming in at speed on the ground. And you can see that grass <laughs> coming up. Like, and I landed on my... We landed on our ass, I guess. Yeah, you do an ass landing, yeah. 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 That was the, this guy is about to turn in. I think that was the craziest. Into you. Yeah, yeah. You I think that. that was the craziest part for me was when you see people skydiving, and you and you see them doing the twirls and the loops. All right, you know I, I've seen that lots. And okay, they do that. I didn't realize how intense it was when you're in there and how. So that's what I want to try. That's why that's I need like, to keep like going because I want to get to that point where I can do some somersaults and cruise around a bit, right? Somersaults in the in the free fall. Yeah. Yeah, but I'm talking about like. The acrobatics with the parachute open. Oh, like, yeah. That's more intense than I ever expected it to be. Oh, yeah. That was crazy. <clears throat> yeah. And that's the thing that if I would have done it myself, I would have probably just spiraled out of control into the ground or just uh, yeah, not realized how far you can actually push it. Like, oh, <laughs> it's crazy. It's like being on a crazy roller coaster. Yeah. Yeah. So did you, what did you mean when we were talking afterwards about it being like a reset? Well, it's like uh, falling towards the earth at two or three hundred kilometers an hour kind of puts things into, I don't know, it just yeah. clears your head. Yeah. You kind of don't have a time to think about, you know, I think it was, you, you want to talk about in the moment. You're thinking about nothing. It's almost meditative. Yeah. And I don't meditate, so for me, something like that is pretty rare. <clears throat> To just shut my head off completely. And it, well, just and it's like, also the Oof. being on the edge of potential death as well. Yeah, like, yeah, I'm sure that plays a role as well. Did you? Were you afraid that you were going to die at any point? James was asking us this question, and I, I guess he felt like his first time that he was he was afraid that he might die or something. I think or, that's well, sucking. Always got to be in the back of your head. Yeah, but but it I wasn't mean that. I think for me, it's that moment at the plane door. When you're at the plane door and it's like you're looking out there, you're squatting there and you're looking out the fucking plane and you're looking down at the fucking canola fields and the green and yellow fields and it's like, okay. And it's all different little patches. You're up there. And it's like, I already just watched you disappear out of sight out of the door. 
So it's like, okay, well, we're doing this. And, uh, and yeah, you're just like one and he's like one and you're like, whoa. And then you, that first couple of seconds after you flip your head out of the, you flip out of the airplane and you look up and see the plane falling away and then all of a sudden you're looking down and then it's like, you're just kind of falling and then he's like, okay, you get to put your arms out and stuff and then it takes you a couple seconds to get your bearings. Yeah, yeah. And I think at that moment is when you realize it's okay. But for that first couple of seconds, he, I mean, you can never really be prepared for that. Your body thinks you're done for a couple of seconds. Whether subcon- you know, whether you do consciously or not, subconsciously, somewhere, your body thinks you just died. At a cellular level, maybe yeah, like it's, it's ready for like it's it's activated fully to keep you alive, or something yeah, is exactly. happening at a cellular level, probably. Some sort of crazy fucking adrenaline, like the craziest adrenaline rush I've ever had. I think. Yeah. Yeah. So pretty well, I'm addicted to. I want to see that. Do that again. Yeah. So I'll have to talk to the wife about that. <laughs> see, because she the, the the family was really supportive of this jump. But, uh, I mean, obviously there's inherent risks involved with skydiving. So. Well, I don't know if it's that unsafe, though. I don't no, know, but it we, seems like it. You it know what I mean? Like it. it seems like it when you're going to... Like, I bet you you driving around family, at work... Like, I bet you, yeah, you driving around the thing. city all day at work is way more dangerous than going up Probably. jumping out of a plane. But still, I mean, tell your family you're going to start jumping out of a plane. The problem is if something goes basis. wrong, it, it's going to... It's yeah, bad. There's no in-between. You could well, sprain an ankle? I mean, you could sprain an ankle or... On the landing, it could be not yeah. bad. Yeah, but I mean... But if your chute doesn't open... like I think, you know, you always have that sort of thought in the back of your head that, you know, you could be okay, maybe, if you land in a soft field you or something. You hear those stories about the people that survived a 12,000-foot yeah, fall. I'll tell you what. It bounced off the canola fields. I was... Uh, that that Any sense of that is gone from me now. When you're... Oh really? There's when no chance. No. There's no. no. I don't care what you no. think. If you fall off an airplane, I don't even think I'd want to survive. You don't want to land in water. You don't want to land in nothing. You no. are fucking moving. Whatever you hit, you're done. You're yeah. done. Yeah. Game over. And if you're not done, you probably wish you were done. Yeah. Because you're gonna be about an inch thick. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it was good. It was refreshing. I feel refreshed. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's weird. It's hard to put a. I feel more refreshed than I would after the after the deprivation tank. Yeah. By far. Definitely. Yeah. So another big shout out to Big Sky Skydivers and James. Dave. James, Nads, and Kelsey. Kelsey. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, definitely something fun. I'll be doing again. Yes, so I look for back sure. for, it looks like we could be skydive buddies. Yeah. I, we yeah, have a little click already. It's like we're already in the skydive click, so we don't have to work our way in. Yeah. We're already in with some of the skydivers. Yeah. So. And like, I'd like to, to do the, the flying show. suit at some point, really. Like, that, but that's jumps. so. That's a but at 200 away. jumps, I mean, you can do fucking, you know, 20 jumps a year, probably you do. That's a long time to wait for the suit. That's 10 years. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe you can go to Mexico Unless and do it after 10 crazy. jumps or something. Yeah, I'd kill yourself. That's the problem. <laughs> I like after falling, I the you rules can see are like in Mexico. after falling like that, that speed and seeing how much your arms and things affect shit. Yeah. Imagine in that suit, you could easily just lift your arm up and go spiraling out of control to your death. <laughs> and that's just it. Because when you're spiraling, you can't pull your chute. You just get all tangled up in it and just crash into the ground in a fire. Then your reserve chute can't deploy because you're all tied up. Lip. 
nobody around would even really know. <laughs> but he could be there like, what was that? I don't know, someone must have, someone must have fell off the tree. Or... Right on. So, um... What you else? think you could do more in twenty a year? That's, I mean, you can. That's a that's a lot. Like I don't know, I don't know. We we got too much going on to, we got too much going on to, to too much. To it's do worth too doing much. the course just to, yeah. have, to have it. Yeah. To be, have it as an option, right? Yeah. You can jump out of a plane a few times a year. Yeah. yeah. And fucking. Yeah. Reset, like you said. Yeah. Reset. I would do that before before a deprivation tank for sure. Yeah. I would be like, okay, honey, you can go to the tank. <laughs> I'm gonna go jump out of a plane. plane. Meet you back here. I gotta do the tank more though, as well. Yeah, I've only done it one time, so maybe I should try it again. Yeah, you should try it at the other facility because it's um, float life. Yeah, it's way you better. Gotta, you should try talking in your mic. Uh, okay. Okay. So, anyways, I got uh, something else for you. I got a little synchronicity, if you want. We're driving through the canola fields of Alberta. If you haven't seen the canola fields of Alberta, you should. You're obsessed them. with canola. Oh, I just love the yellows and the greens and the. This is like, against the dark, stormy sky. Yeah, and the mountains in the background. It's God's country, buddy. So I got a synchronicity. Of okay. A personal one. I have no jingles. What? I have no jingles. Oh yeah, right. Okay, I got a personal synchronicity from Mike and Mike and me. Who's Mike? Mike's my buddy. Okay. You know, well, Mike's been on the show. He was on uh, for a little while when we did that our third year anniversary thing. I think he oh. was on for a bit. R. So H. Mike negative, always R H negative Mike. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. So he, so yeah, 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 yeah he yeah, texts yeah, yeah. he texts me all these studies and stuff. Right, he's all up on the science uh, daily studies and everything, or the sciencedaily.com, which releases all these studies. So he's texting me this new study on ancient DNA. Kind of fits into our episode, actually. So I was like, thanks, I'll check it out. He's like, basically... Are you around- doing emails while you're driving? What? Are you doing emails? No. Okay, because I could do... If you want no. to do emails, no. I could do... I'm you not could doing fo- emails. Okay. I'm just texting. Text. <laughs> so he says, basically around the time of Gobekli Tepe, right? And there's this new study. He says, three distinct genetically different groups get farming at the same time. So I was like, oh, that makes sense. Like, I was like, is that to do with the races? And he's like, Anatolia went to Europe. One went to the Levant, the Canaan area, and then one east towards Iran, India, and Afghanistan. So he was, like, joking around, like, the three sons of Noah? Like, he says, get this. And I was like, that's, like, 11,000 years ago. He says the one group had 0% Neanderthal. (laughs) I said they became the smart Jews. (laughs) I was just joking. So he says, he he says the Neanderthal came from the North, I guess, but now every human outside sub-Africa has some Neanderthal DNA. So anyways, we're going back, back and forth about this. He says, Andrew Collins wrote about this in his book, Genesis of the Gods. He believed that the teachers at Gobekli Tepe were Neanderthal hybrids. So get this, not, not an hour before that, I pulled that book off my bookshelf to bring to the studio. Really? I took Were a you pulling a bunch of books? Yeah. So you're packing up only like four or five. Four I was or looking five. through there. I pulled that one off the off the shelf. Huh. So of course it's a sign. Mm. We, you know, we're joking around about the synchronicity. What's the sign? I was so, going to be a four. And the study is. Uh, 
is the prehistoric genomes. This is the actual article. From the world's first farmers in the Zagros Mountains revealed different Neolithic ancestry for Europeans and South Asians. Okay. So basically populations in the ancient Fertile Crescent are the ancestors of modern-day South Asians, but not of Europeans, the new research shows. So there's two right? different strains of human? Yeah. Both evolved, but... So anyways, that was uh, the synchronicity. That, what do you think, Eddie? Can't be that far back removed. Uh, I gave it a four. Oh, come on. Okay, 7.4. 7, seven that's it? Yeah. That's Eight. a pretty good... 7, now 7. seven. You're packing out more books. No, it was just like the four or five books I took uh, off. The, you know I was, what? It's a six. Five books. Could have even been five books. I no, was but it doesn't matter. Books. The fact is I, I had, had four that books. book. I had even a t- the fact talk that in I your had, mic. Even the fact that I was looking at that book that night. I mean, come on. Uh, yeah. I think it's a sign I'll I'll better, it a I better read it. You haven't read it yet? No. Huh. I read it. So what else we got to talk about? Uh, I don't know. Usually we uh, owe support. Support, support the, the show. show, yeah. Well, we want to thank everybody for supporting thank the show. that does support the show, yeah. especially our monthly subscribers. If you're not a monthly subscriber, sign up now. GrabAmerica.ca slash support. Help us keep this shit uh, un, uh, ad Ad-free. Yeah, that's right. No portals, no sponsors, none of that. No the, the other thing uh, we want to thank is the artists who submit their weekly episode art. And to mention, there's a bunch of back catalog that we have, all for free back there. People can go back and listen to all the old episodes, all for free. And a lot of that doesn't have specific episode art. So if there's artists out there that want to throw it out, I'll, I'll throw the art on um, Instagram. So you can yeah. follow us on Instagram as well. And Darren sort of handles the Twitter. Yeah, and mail your art submissions for new art or old art to napacramerica.com. Um, of course, yeah, thanks to everyone who did. Who did the art last week? It was Jeff Wilson? I think it was Jeff Wilson, yep. Yeah. And shout out. Ooh, ooh, that truck almost hit that other truck there. Shout out to Jeff. Uh, and for this episode, we'll let you know next week who won. Big thanks to our artists. Of course, we do, yeah, agree with, uh, like the art. Send the art. Send, yep. support the show. Spam monetarily. Gram. Spam gram. Review the show. Gramerica.ca slash iTunes. Uh, tell your friends about this motherfucker. What else? Leave Sign a voicemail. Newsletter, Gramerica.ca slash news. Uh, speakpipe.com slash Gramerica. Check out the show notes for all the links to how you can help the show and also to the stuff that we talked about in the episode. And there's T-shirts available. There's a few sizes of the classic Grey Grey America. What are we asking for? A donation of 25, 25, bucks? 25 or more in North America and... Uh, and less in Europe. <laughs> 30 or more in the rest of the world. Basically... Canada Post is the most expensive. Canada Post is the most expensive. So we, we but what are you gonna do? Um, yeah, I think that's it. Is that it, buddy? Yeah. Uh, thanks for the jump tonight. It was good. Yeah, if you haven't gone skydiving, I highly recommend it. Do it. And enjoy the chat with Dr. Carmen Bolter. Yeah, enjoy the chat with Carmen, guys.
right, tonight we've got Dr. Carmen Bolter with us. We're super excited just when we think we we get it, uh, our heads wrapped around Egypt and the pyramids and stuff. Um, saw this presentation in Calgary. It was fascinating. Now, Carmen was uh, the director, producer, and writer of the series in Netflix, The Pyramid Code, and she also wrote a book called Angels and Archetypes, An Evolutionary Map of Feminine Consciousness. Traces fragments of information about matriarchal cultures in pre-dynastic Egypt, prehistoric Greece, and around the world. So that's exciting stuff, and uh, we're happy to have you here, Carmen. Thanks for coming on. Pleasure. Yeah, I was I was pretty blown away there um, in Calgary. We saw you present, uh, you know, a lot of your information there, and just thought we had to get you on the show here. So it's uh, and you've also talked about uh, James Brown's work a lot, and we, we're having him on in a, in a few weeks, and I've been reading his book, and it's really kind of opened my eyes to another level again. So I guess for people that haven't seen the the pyramid code which i mean a lot of people have i'm sure it's been pretty successful can you just give us a quick background of that of uh you know creating that and and what you uh what you did in that journey and then we can get going on to some of the new stuff sure the pyramid code is five episodes and it's on uh hulu and amazon prime and guy tv as well as netflix and it aired on 30 in 38 countries on um national tv so it wow. really did make its rounds um, basically, it's about debunking everything we were taught in school uh, about Egypt, because we're taught that they worshipped animals, no, that the pyramids were built by slaves, no, that they were obsessed with death, no, they didn't have a word for it, uh, that the pyramids were the egos of pharaohs, and that they were tombs, neither. And so I had met an indigenous wisdom keeper several years ago, whose name is Hakim, and he's since passed on and no one actually had recorded his work oh. and I thought it was really important to, to get him on film before he passed and he actually passed the day that we put his the clip of him, the beginning of the clips of him into the timeline wow waiting to be in the pyramid code before he left so um, it, he's really a treasure and now we've got him recorded and so it goes into a lot of depth in terms of what um, the true uh, Egypt, pre-dynastic Egypt would have been and what the pyramids are for and so on. Wow. So, and you were pretty happy with the results of that? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I've seen it a few times for sure. What's your favorite episode? I like episode four, The Empowered Human, because it's got all the jewelry and the, the story of Akhenaten and Nefertiti. Is that, uh, I think, the last one I watched was the cosmology one. I think that is episode four, isn't it? No. Sacred Cosmology 3, The Empowered three. Human Yeah, four. I watched three, yeah. Yeah. That's the most common comment that people make, though, is when they finish watching it, they watch it again. Yeah, it's packed with information. I like the technological one. The, I think that was episode two, I think. Was it two or three? Yeah. Technology, too. Yeah. Yeah, and then after reading some of James Brown's book, and, and you mentioned him quite a bit in your in your talk as well, it's just mind-blowing. Like, it really seems to make sense. His whole theory and the stuff you're talking about really seems to make sense over the, the mainstream narrative. Absolutely. Well, he, he went in 1978 the first time. I went in 77, and we amassed, you know, he got 10,000 pictures, I got 15,000 or something like that, and we just basically have been looking at our pictures to see if something can come out of it and then running experiments to see if we can make further sense of it. So he's got a lot of the electrical, electromagnetic um, theories put to the test. And uh, that's mostly the masculine um, aspect of it. And of course, I've got the feminine 
aspect going with matriarchal cultures and the blue lotus and all of that. So the ancients were very balanced and very wise, and they knew a lot more than we give them credit for. So the matriarchal cultures in pre-dynastic Egypt. What what would you what is pre-dynastic Egypt then for people that aren't sure? And then and then was there a shift from from the uh, matriarchal to the patriarchal after that? Yeah. So thirty one thirteen BC is the first dynasty, and that's usually all that they're looking at in history books and whatnot. Right. So thirty one thirteen BC, which was ironically the beginning of the Mayan calendar, but everything before that was matriarchal. And so we look at everything through our patriarchal lenses. We project what we already think onto the ancients, and that's why we haven't been able to figure them out very well. So um, matriarchal cultures exist all over the world, and they're deeper because they're older. And it's not about women controlling men. It's not the opposite. It's about balance. And, you know, caring for each other, caring for the planet, collaboration, respecting dream time and symbols and that sort of thing. And we've gotten away from all of that. And patriarchy's, I think its agenda has been to erase evidence of everything other than itself. <laughs> so that's why we're kind of locked in and we haven't been able to figure things out. So is, is, uh, is, is the, uh, what was I going to say about that? The, the patriarchal one. Um, no, I just lost my train of thought there. Darren, you want to jump in here? I'm lost it. <laughs> <laughs> the, do you think that's by design? Do you think like it's a bunch of, or do you think it's just the natural path of sort of whoever's the latest big kid on the block writing their own history? Well, I think we're going to come to see the last 5,000 years as a failed experiment as the patriarchal hiccup and everything else was more um, peaceful and um, healthy you know, because we've become very, very unhealthy. So patriarchal ways of being and thinking are um, non-transparent, power over instead of empowerment, um, all these different things, me, mine, greed, um, lies, and you don't have to tell the truth. The truth is an option in, in this way of being and thinking. And so a very few people get to control the others and everyone else serves. And if you're going to boil down to what all our problems are right now on the planet, I think it all can be stemmed from patriarchal ways of being and thinking. Is it shifting the other way now, do you think? Because like, some people talk about you know Aquarius being in the age of Aquarius now and some guys like uh, Melchizedek and all that talking about more of that, that feminine energy shift. Yeah, he says, I wonder if it, it'll be a slow change or like a... Like a or does it have to like fall apart? Collapse, yeah. Well, nobody quite knows how it's going to go in the next little while, that's <laughs> for sure. Um, but to return to leaving more for the children, uh, even the uh, North American Indian concept of leaving sub- things for seven generations. You know, we've outlawed, uh, Emperor Constantine outlawed reincarnation, so you only live once, so you don't have to care about the planet, just grab everything and never mind. And so um, no one knows how it's going to turn out. Uh, I, I know that there's big cycles of time and golden ages, silver, bronze, and iron, and we're at the bottom of the iron age right now, which is why we're in so much trouble. And I think that there's uh, more refined dimensions and higher level frequencies of energy that exist during golden ages. And the other trick of the patriarchy, as I mentioned, uh, is that it's only 5,000 years and, you know, you can't look further beyond the five, 6,000-year point, and then it makes it very difficult to understand all the, the secrets of the ancients, and there's been an awful lot of evidence that's been tampered with and hidden 
But now with the internet and I don't know, lots of lots of discoveries and, and research, I think we're we're starting to get a different picture. Yeah. Do you do you remember any epiphanies of, of when you first started researching Egypt and when you you know in the seventies and eighties and do you do you remember any points in time when you something that really triggered you to go like this is not what we're being taught? Well, that's the whole story of my life, and it started <laughs> when I was six years old. So that was the sixties. Um, so I was researching it avidly by the time I was eight years old, and I went there the first time in seventy-seven, and it was just one astonishing revelation after another. I had never a dull moment. So I'd say all my experiences about Egypt and in Egypt were all pointing to something that was entirely new. So my response when I heard um, the tour guides, you know, they'd say, Ramses II, and he had all these enemies, and he killed them. And I'm like, I would just like convulse inside. I feel like I was going to pass out. And I just went, that's not what happened. So it's been a long journey of, of, of retracing maybe steps from another incarnation to try to put the story back together. And then what made you go into your education um, background? And, and you've, you were in the University of Calgary for a while there. So did you automatically evolve into the scientific background as well? Yeah, definitely. But the, um, I was trained as a teacher. I, was, I worked as a psychologist for 17 years. I did 12 years post-secondary education. I did do graduate level uh, archaeology work, but... I realized that you can't tell a different story. If you're an archaeologist, you've got to repeat the old story, even if the, the data doesn't measure up. So I thought, well, I'll never survive that. So I decided <laughs> to do my PhD in linguistics, and, uh, and I taught abroad. I've lived in six countries and um, been to 59, and you know I've been studying things in the world. And now I'm doing a more independent part with Egyptology and archaeology. Wow. So... So as you mentioned, the Internet's, you know, filling us full of all these uh, really fascinating discoveries. And you talk about um, the culture changing a little bit. And I think we're realizing now, finally, at least some in some parts of the media, that there was advanced cultures going further back than we ever thought. Um, there's a bunch of evidence now. You talked about the the sheer volume of pyramids being found all over the the world lately. Want to talk about that a bit? Yeah, well, apparently there's 250 pyramids in China, and last week I started to plot them <clears throat> Google Earth, and I found 45 that you can easily see from space, and that, that's just astonishing. Like, people don't know that. There's pyramids in the Canary Islands, and the Mauritius, and South Africa, and uh, South America, yeah, well, all over South America, Peru, uh, Bosnia, then there's some in Bolivia, Serbia, right? There's there's really a lot of pyramids on the planet, and most of them, many of them, are covered with soil, and that shows that they're pre-Diluvian, and so when we had a world flood, they were covered in silt, and then when the water receded, there was enough uh, soil to make vegetation grow and trees, and so a lot of people are in total denial about the possibility that a pyramid can be underneath um, trees or a jungle and that's what's being discovered now and it means they're more than 12,000 years old and give us an idea of the sheer volume like I thought I heard you say somewhere of somebody's somebody's doing you know adding this all up and he's saying it's upwards of 100,000 now or something like that 
Well, that's what the claim is. And I, I don't ever want to just go say and repeat what right. someone else said without being able to verify it. But yeah. it's been an undertaking to be plotting all these pyramids. So, and some of them are younger too. Like there's a lot of different styles of pyramids. So the oldest ones are the highest technology and the newest ones are falling apart. Right. And I think that's a, a point that we really need to take notice of. Yeah, that at some point the the workmanship kind of, or at least the, maybe the education, or they stopped caring about how they build things. Like I often think about, you know, your guys' research and how the pyramids were designed a certain way. And I think of this, there's a lack of that kind of design that goes into our buildings. Now we just build shit. Like we don't even care if there's any kind of alignments or anything like that. So it's like, it's almost gone to the point where there's zero. Well, unless you're talking about Masonic symbols in the way like Washington DC's laid out or stuff like that. But I mean, in general, we don't really follow it. No, it's really dumb. And in fact, I went on a desert expedition in search of a place that might've had ties to Atlantis and it turned out that it was a 30-year-old structure that had been built by the Air Force, and it was falling apart 30 years later. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Is there yeah, anything... Uh, ...on the back and say we're the smartest we've ever been. <laughs> yeah. Are there any pyramid suspects in Canada? Well, I've been nudged about that, and apparently on Vancouver Island there's some, but I've got no evidence of that yet. Not that I'm not going to go snoop around and see what I can find out, but... Um, you know, we have to have some concrete evidence. You can't just say, yeah, there's one over there. No, there, there has to be something more more per, uh, verifiable, let's put it that way. Was the island, would it, was it ever, was it under the glaciers? Like, I guess, because anything in Alberta or Saskatchewan would have been ground down to dust. Mm-hmm. Was the island under the same sort of ice sheet? I don't know that. Hmm. Yeah, it'd be interesting to know, because eh? I... Keep coming back to that. That only like eleven thousand, what five hundred or twelve thousand years ago, we were under you know a mile or two of ice. Like it's still mind blowing to think that it really wasn't very long ago. No, not if you start looking further and further and further back, because that's basically what's happening to most of the researchers that are doing credible work. Is the dates are keep going back. Yeah, yeah. And carbon fourteen dating is uh, notably uh, gets very weak after thirty thousand years ago. But the dates that are coming up for the Bosnian pyramid, I saw the the radiocarbon certificate myself, and uh, it was 38,000 years old. And um, the the pyramid of Gunung Padang, where I just was last December, 26,000 years old. And so, uh, and the, you know, Giza pyramids keep getting redated. Uh, There's absolutely no possibility that they were built in 2450 BC. And that's what they keep on telling us. And so we really have to grasp that the the history that we've been given and what we get taught in school is all wrong pretty much all wrong do you think that's um do you think that's by design like do you think it's like a hidden hand or do you think that's just old people who don't want to give up on their their theories well, both. I mean, certainly nobody wants to rewrite all the history books, but I think that we have been distracted and uh, trained, socialized in a way that we don't know how to think creatively. We don't have discernment. And so we are trained to believe what the person says on the news in Hollywood, uh, in school. And so instead of being self-reflective and checking and doing our own research, we're told what the right answer is in school and we've got to give it back. So 
and it's nothing to do with knowledge. It has nothing to do with wisdom, and it has nothing to do with the truth. It has to do with what the teacher says the answer is. Right. And that's what we live with. That's what we're, that's what we, you know, school is no fun for most kids because of that. So it's not developing the person. It's not about consciousness. It's about making everybody compliant and obedient. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We get, we get into that a lot on the show for sure. We had one on, on just how bad the education system was, and that's pretty horrific. So what, what are some of the, some of the uh, adventures that come to mind? I, I was listening to your uh, and watching you present there, and there was stuff like the Dundara ceiling and the Hall of Records search. Like you were on quite a few little adventures there, sort of finding some new stuff. There was a massive underground complex. Any of those stand out for you? All. Oh. <laughs> uh, let's start with Hawara. Um, I made a discovery on, um, started on Google Earth and found a place that replicated what was in ancient maps. Uh, people had been there before and driven there. Sorry, ancient, um, ancient what? Math? Map, maps. Uh, Flinders Petrie from, he had a book, right, 10 Years right. Digging in Egypt, 1881 to 1891. Yeah. And he made some discoveries and, and, and of course they had limited equipment then. And so there were teams that had gone to this site. It's 95 kilometers south of Giza, the, the Great Pyramid. And, um, and they had done some very weak ground-penetrating radar and, and knew that there were anomalies underground. But now we have very, very powerful space archaeology, high-definition uh, ground-penetrating radar that's looking at longitudinal waves. And you can look through. If you hit something, you can look through it. And if you hit something else, you can still go deeper. Mm-hmm. And these, this equipment can go and measure something that is six kilometers deep into the Earth. So when I found the GPS of this location, um, I was able to process it through this sophisticated um, technology and learn that there is a complex that's 81 acres across and that there's two distinct levels. One, the ceiling is 20 meters deep and the second is 40 meters deep. And there's enormous chambers, six of which are bigger than Olympic-sized swimming pools, all underground. Hmm. And so when I got the scans, I was able to do measures and then make a, a have a 3D model made. And it's, it's, it's just completely unbelievable because this technology will also show precious jewels and uh, precious metals and that sort of thing. And there's stuff down there. Is that the labyrinth, maybe? Mm-hmm. It's the labyrinth. That's what it's called. But Herodotus started calling it the labyrinth in 550 BC. What else was missing? Isn't there something else missing? What do you uh, mean? I remember having a conversation with John Ward. Is that stuff underwater too then, or is that just under sand? Because isn't the water table not too far down? Well, that's the whole thing that uh, Flinders Petrie said. Uh, nobody wants to go dig there because there's an artificial canal and it'll leak so just leave it alone and what that did is it kept everybody away from it and there was also an ancient text ancient old like 1850 or something that was that was written and and they basically were talking about this place because um it's it's got many many layers to it and um and and they're talking about it being flooded down there too but my information from doing a complete separate scan from water is that the water's underneath this all of it so is there any speculation on what it was mainly used for? Well, I, we haven't done, we, we don't have permits to go and excavate. It would only be pure speculation. Uh, everybody's That's okay. Looking, we're, we're allowed to speculate here, totally. Well, everybody's looking for the Hall of Records, and 
you know, let's put the whole story together. If if we're starseed, if there is off-planet um, life and, and information, you know, how did we get here? Uh, what are we made of? And if there was some kind of an interaction um, with off-planet beings, you know, where would they put the stuff after they were here? I, I think it's really old. Um, older is deeper, so the lower level is going to be much older than the other one. But you know, there was a, there's there's lots of ancient texts that talk about advanced knowledge of a disaster in Atlantis and digging around for as many years as I have, uh, I've got three of them confirmed, not one. And if there was advanced knowledge, it was like a time capsule. It's if the whole thing's going down, what are we going to do with the stuff and the technology, and how do we preserve it? So that's a best guess. Um, but the chances of being able to go and and do um, uh, do an excavation or slim at best running around Egypt as much as I have and getting permits to do things. Uh, it's a very slow go. And the answer is usually no. Wow. That's gotta be frustrating. You got these, these things are just begging to be, you know, researched and, and you can't even get in there. That's correct. And, and I've, I've managed to do quite a bit over there considering, but one of the things that's true is as this scan is used around the world and they actually go and excavate at some of the places, uh, they're getting the verifiability that, that the objects and the, the, the substance that, that the scan was detecting is actually there. So, um, and as I keep saying, older is deeper. So if we're going to get the real old stuff, the surface stuff came up first. So even at Hawara, pardon me, there's a Ptolemaic layer and there's a, that's Anthony and Cleopatra time frame, and then there's a Roman layer. So it's actually, the site actually has four different distinct time frame archaeological levels. Wow. Have you ever, uh, have you ever had a guilty little thought of just like leveling one of the pyramids just to, you know, <laughs> see what might be hiding around in there or underneath it? No, but I did spend five <laughs> years on, on the Giza Plateau getting in there with some of the wa- help from the watchmen and going in and out of the holes because initially when I was reading about this place that was known, they said it was on the west side of the Great Pyramid. So, and then the tunnel system was underneath. So I spent five years, there's a tunnel system down there, no question, hmm. but it's not this one. Right. And so all they had to do in the book is say on the west side of the, pl- of the Giza, but it's really over here. And that keeps everybody away from the spot. So, no, I don't bring stones home or any of that. Um, it, it, and I think everything has to be done officially, but I'm very keen on taking pictures and video and making sense of, of, of what we're seeing, you know, with using animation and various things to put the story back together if we can't um, do it. So we still know that there's something down there. And so, um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a fascinating situation. But it's not the only place that new discoveries are being found, that's for sure. Yeah. Well, it's uh, <clears throat> it's only a matter of time before this ground penetrating radar gets to see, you know, all our coastlines as well. Like in all these areas where before the ice age, you know, it wasn't flooded with water. Like imagine the the difference the Earth looked like before the ice age, right? Before the before the well before the end of the ice age. Right, and then there's all places like Nan Madal, and uh, yeah. uh, that's a half underwater, and places in India when they had the big tsunami, and then they realized that there was a whole city underneath, and wow. Yonkuni on the south tip of Japan, in the north of Taiwan, there's a pyramid structure underwater there. There's things that are so deep off the coast of Cuba that they can't even send sea divers down. They send um, 
uh, submersible cameras. So, and then you've got Malta where the, the tracks end and then there's a cliff and the rest of it's down and underneath the water. Even uh, Anthony and Cleopatra's palace um, near Alexandria off the coast, uh, the, the statues, everything's still down there. So, so yeah, the, the water levels changed dramatically on the planet and we didn't even have scuba diving until 1954. So, or fossil fuels. Yeah. What, is, what does that have to do with anything, Darren? <laughs> have you looked? Have you seen the? Um, have you looked at any of the work of Randall Carlson and his theories on the uh, flash floods? Yep, I have. What do you What do you think about that? Oh, I think he's on to something, and uh, he's been working with Graham Hancock. But their focus is the last flood, which is great because you know a lot of people don't have enough information about that. Um, but I want to look in front, behind that and behind that and behind that right, because yeah. there's, there's, there's many, many layers to it all. Yeah. So you think we've been kicking around for probably, you know, more like millions of years or hundreds of thousands at least? Well, th- there's evidence of both. And uh, Michael Cremo, who I spoke with at Modern Knowledge Tour in Vancouver and Victoria last year, um, he's, he's the one that's using potassium argon dating and finding skeletons that he's dating to over a million years old. Oh. So, you know, this is this is going on and somehow it's not common knowledge, yeah. you know, at all. Um, and there's lots of things from the 100,000 year range. And Klaus Donna is another one that has been finding out of place artifacts and uh, and having things dated. But there's also corruption in the dating labs. So the photoluminescent and thermoluminescent dating labs in South America, for example, aren't allowed to show anything older than 6,000 years old which is the paradigm that we were talking about earlier. Wow. And so, um, you know, not only do you have to, you know, fight to, to get permission to do things, uh, you've got to, you know, see if, if a lab is going to be legitimate. And I've had experience with this because um, I went to a, I call it the Sitchin conference, but there was a bunch of scientists, Paul LaViolette, uh, Michael mm. Talbot, these people in Portland in 97, and they had a roundtable discussion with the scientists and somehow they invited me to come to it to be a fly on the wall and they decided to discuss dating techniques and one scientist said that they had um, one sample that they divided into 14 pieces and sent to 14 labs to get carbon 14 and it came back with 14 dates. No way. Yes. And this is back in 97. Yes. Wow. So obviously varied not just 14 different dates but probably quite a variance or... Absolutely, absolutely, and so it's it's, it's unreliable. And they say plus or minus two thousand years. Well, how how reliable is that? And most everything is older than it looks. And so there's all kinds of ways that samples can get contaminated too. Like if you pick it up with your hand, then a little fluck of your skin goes on, and then it contaminates the age. And so you know you put it in a plastic bag, it gets moldy, and then you're dating the mold. <laughs> you know. So it, it's, it's, it's really quite imprecise out there, and there isn't a big concerted effort to help us um, d- decipher all this. It's kind of, you know, an obscure thing, yet people can't give up on this idea of who are we and where did we come from. Yeah. Yeah, we had Michael Cremo on, like, episode 10 or something. Yeah, I think you should throw it in the show notes. Yeah. yeah, people should check that one out. Yeah, he's great. But he suffered, though, because he's come out with ideas. I mean, there's a wonderful YouTube video of him from 20 years ago on the news and on a talk show and that kind of thing. And people are like, really? How can that be? And (laughs) 
20 years later, he's still doing the same thing. Yeah, yeah. So it's not like it's catching on in mainstream. But the, the, there's, you know, re- reasons for this too, because archaeology won't talk to uh, anthropology and social anthropology won't talk to cultural anthropology. And so everybody's in their own little box. Yeah. And the only way we put this puzzle back together is by looking at geology and all kinds of different things. And many, many different subjects have to come together. Plus, uh, our own sense of discernment, because if you start digging around and researching this stuff, you're going to be your head will be spinning in a few hours because there's loads of contradictions. So how do you know? And I always emphasize um, with my students and my presentations and, and, and my um, TV series, the audience should never ask, how do you know or what do you mean? It's up to us to, to spell that out. And I've heard lots of people get up on stage and says, prove me wrong. It's up to you to prove me wrong. And I'm right because I said so. Mm. And that's no way to present. I think that we need to respect the audience and really give them more than one, I call it triangulation, like three places it comes from. Yeah. And something real to show, not something that's a fantasy that you need, you know, a, a graphic artist to make up the picture. No, a real picture of a real item, something, right? And so that's when it start, the rubber starts to hit the road and we start to really feel that this is right. And I think that's why people watch the pyramid code over and over because it's not telling you what to think. It's asking questions and showing you things and you go, oh, and then it's up to you to decide what you think. Yeah, well said. So did did James Brown's book fall into that category for you then? Like, did it seemed like when I was reading that recently, because I wanted to sort of uh, also sort of prep for, you know, I was watching the Pyramid Code as well, and I remember you, your presentation in Calgary there, but it was one of those things, like, it really just makes sense to me. Like, he's talking about looking at all the, all the, uh, all the, hieroglyphs and, and all the evidence in a different way. Like, forget about what you learn from the, from the Egyptologists and all that and look at it in this different way. And it really makes sense. Like there's a whole bunch of stuff in there that's being ignored and whether it's about, you know, ejaculation or, or erect, you know, erect, erectile things. You like went his, right there, right? Yeah. And, and, uh, no, cause he talks about, about gold and how it's very, uh, conductive to electricity. Like he really shows it well that this could be, a major, major part of e- Egyptian culture. Do you want to just touch on that a bit and how, what you think of that? Okay, so the book is called Electric Ancient Egyptians Penetrating the Atom with Electrified Sperm. And of course, I just about fell over when I read that subtitle. Um, but, you know, okay, he, he outlines his argument logically and he hedges, which is what we're taught to do doing a PhD program. We don't say, it is, I know, this is it, it proves, we don't use that word. The data seems to indicate. Yeah. Yeah. I'm feeling more comfortable with the theory of, right? So you give yourself some space. So if there's a major discovery in 50 years, from what we know now, these are the conclusions we're drawing. So you, you, you don't be so definitive. So he was very careful with that. I didn't have any problem reading his book. It's 400 pictures in it. And he's saying, look, here's put the circle around. And then he shows you another and another and another. And you're like, you know what? I've been staring at that for a long time and I never noticed. Yeah, And so um, I really respect his work a lot. But what he did is he, he created a lab and he saw the, um, those, uh, what he calls them Faraday cages. Uh, they're, they're shrines that King Tut had one inside. They said that it was one inside the other, inside the other, and the smallest one had the sarcophagus, except the sarcophagus would never fit in there. So um, they were using them, their gold on the inside. They had these gold sandals. I had noticed all these things and these instruments and, 
you know, containers and the kind of processes and the way they're in a little box and they've got their feet up on a, a footstool. But I hadn't put together that sometimes the footstools are wooden and they don't conduct electricity and sometimes they do. So what James did is he made what he calls an arcs and sparks lab. And so he wanted to test this stuff. So he, he got a replica of King Tut's throne, which is a gold chair, and the, the shoes the, and, and the conducting shoes, and went and sat inside. And we, I sent a crew down to film him doing this. And he couldn't have a lavalier mic on because it would have shorted the mic out. So he holds his finger, and the, here comes the videographer, and the spark goes across the fingers. I've got the footage of it. Yeah. And, but what he also did is he figured out what Edbeat Scallion did. Are you familiar with Coral Castle? Yeah, yeah, we okay. did a show. We did a show on that a while back too. Okay, so look at this. James sent me original footage, the reels of sixteen millimeter of some of the only footage of Edley Scallion on site. Wow! And I had it digitized, and so I have I'm it. <laughs> very, very proud to have it. <laughs> So, um, yeah, anyway, so uh, Edward Scallion would, um, he, he had hammered a metal plate onto each of his boots. And when I was there, I saw his boots, but they weren't turned over. And uh, I think James, the biggest contribution he's making is, um, is making the connection of what Edward Scallion um, was doing because he worked alone and he didn't share his secrets. So he sent me a care package of his notes and uh, a typewritten manuscript of somebody who wrote the story of his life and, you know, things that he thought. And, you know, he, in there, there's a, he says, um, if there had been a word called magnificity, I would have used it. And I've been saying all along that the ancient Egyptians had to protect themselves so they didn't get electromagneticuted. And so we want to separate electricity and magnetism. And he's very, very strong about the idea that they exist in in concert with one another and that it has to do with timing and anti-gravity and you know the equipment is there and i've got footage of all this for the new atlantis my next series and uh it's it's finally finally we've we've got something that we can um demonstrate about what big sky was doing didn't scott russell we we talked to a guy who said he had it all figured out but then we never heard from him again (laughs) Well, I've been sent a number of books. I mean, people send me stuff all the time, and I get a little way in and go, nah. It was Scott Russell. Yeah, but he didn't have the, the electromagnetism right? no, figure out. for him, out. it was a machine that he was using to cut the coral. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the, okay, I'm always looking at, is it verifiable? I'm not familiar with Scott, Scott's work, but um, is it verifiable in more than one way? And that's, you know... The, James has got the pictures, he's got his theory, and then he tested his theory, and then he lined it up with what at least Scallion was doing. But James was going to buy the place. He's, he's in his 70s. And so when Lead Scallion died, you know, he went to Florida and he tried to buy the place because there was no next of kin. And I've even got a photocopy of the check and the offer to purchase. Ah. I mean, he, like, I'm a big fan of James, and he's been so incredibly generous uh, to share his material with me. That's great. Yeah, it really makes me wonder if they, if Ed was on to something and the Egyptians were on to something about really harnessing, like even if it's just in small quantities, harnessing this electricity and, and, and moving it back and forth through the body and all this kind of stuff. And then, you know, and then there's all Tesla and all these other conspiracies you can talk about. And then there's, there's people flying around 
and these UFOs and they talk about the secret space program. And I mean, this technology is probably known in the black world. And we're just sitting here like, you know, scratching the surface on what the ancient Egyptians did or what some other, you know, loner did somewhere. And, and yet somebody's utilizing it, I think. Oh, absolutely. And the thing, too, is that, you know, I've been saying for a little while here that there's the problem of, you know, what's going on on the planet, GMOs, chemtrails, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera you know, dark budgets and, you know, underground, this and that. And there's that problem, which is very serious. But there's this another problem that 90% of people don't have any idea that it's going on and they think the government would never lie to us and all that. That's another problem, that people are distracted and we've become spectators and consumers and that's supposed to be enough and don't question anything. Well, we're, we're the 10% perhaps that are questioning everything. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. So I did, I did want to ask you before we run out of time as well about Tomsk. Is that how you pronounce it? It's, uh, yeah. it's very fascinating to me. Um, do you want to talk to some people about that as well? Yes. Tomsk is in the center of the landmass of the Russian continent. And in the same fashion as Giza is the center of the landmass, the widest and the longest part of the African continent, um, it's been sited. It's in Siberia as a site and it's a thousand acres and it's a there's a project that bears two names one is project 12 and the other name is the new atlantis and so i was speaking in st petersburg at a conference and i was approached by a man named valerie uvaroff who had been working with pyramid energy for a while and he asked if i would make his next uh, documentary series and he wanted it to be called the new atlantis so he gave me a lot of material and i went through all the scientific aspects of it and and wrote a science manuscript based on that. And I was doing the treatments for the next series. And then the funding that he had fell through and I decided to carry it on on my own, which has been very challenging because projects like this need funding. Mm-hmm. Um, but what they're doing is they they have a thousand acres and there's 12 different domains. So they're building um, the center pyramids there and then they're building eight pyramids in four concentric circles. So the total of 33 functional pyramids that's using the technology that Valerie understood in a similar way that Lee Scallion did. And so it's quartz uh, crystal under pressure with double helix and it's poured stones, geopolymers a la uh, Joseph Davidovich's work and uh, crystals inside that are like 12 feet high and um, it, it's just unbelievable what they're doing. Now, each of the domain of communication, transportation, health, agriculture, uh, education, uh, uh, beekeeping, all of the things that, that don't work in our world that could be improved, free energy, are being developed on this site. And um, they're well underway. I think they're probably seven, six or seven years in. And I was just at the Global Pyramid Conference and a man named Red Milo was reporting on it. Mm-hmm. And they're making good progress. And so people are having spontaneous healings in the pyramid. There's three ch- chambers. Um, it's cr- crushed quartz polymer casing stones with a real pyramidion on the top. And um, it is a brilliant, brilliant project. And so it's also part of the New Atlantis in that, you know, what, how can we take the ancient values and what are people doing now? Right. And it's really surprising how many incredibly positive things are happening, but the mainstream media doesn't want us to know. No. What, what, who's funding that whole thing? It sounds like a, it sounds like a really 
new age modern Venus project kind of thing. Absolutely, that that is a good some uh, a good metaphor to go with it. Um, they they are getting partially government funding, and when, when I mentioned that to my friend in Chicago, she's like, "Oh, well, then they're going to wreck it." And I'm like, "Well, that's that's what probably would happen here, but yeah. it happened there." <laughs> so we've got you know we project with the you know the cultural lenses that we have from here onto what they're doing, and everybody's still. I mean, they they showed us lineups of men in trench coats and a bread line with no bread and you know cnn left us there and didn't bother to tell us how well they're doing in russia and how sophisticated everything is in the architecture and you know vegetarian gourmet restaurants and fashion and you know the hermitage museum and it's just like i was so impressed with saint petersburg and i came back and people, no 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 the kgb are hiding around the corner oh, it's worse you know, than that say that you know everything's corrupt and what and we're not yeah 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 they they it's worse than that they're demonizing putin every every chance they get it's pretty crazy it is you bet hmm. so what else did i want to ask is you? it easy to move to russia <laughs> no they still have very strict visa things mm-hmm. would you like to go think over there? It's, i think I it's wanna... cold i think it's cold in the winter <laughs> it's cold here in the winter <laughs> I want to check out that uh, that crystal crystal pyramid city though. That looks really interesting. Uh, you know, it's crystal pyramid city. Yeah. Hmm. yeah. There you go, Darren. Yeah. What do you think about that? You want to go there? We move to Russia and live in the crystal pyramid city. Uh, you go first. <laughs> Let me know how it goes. Maybe we can. I'll come later. <laughs> Well, kind of on that subject, I wanted to ask you about the study on heart that you had in your presentation as well and the 360 senses. That was interesting to me. Oh, yeah. Okay. So, um, again, in Russia, I was invited by Dr. Konstantin Korkov to speak at that conference. And he spent many years developing this machine, uh, which is electrophotonic imaging. And it actually measures the... uh, luminescent fields that come off the human body, particularly on the fingertips, and then logarithmically goes up the meridian to show the condition of the human aura hmm. and the alignment and the energetic values of the chakra system. Wow. So it's kind of like a new new technology over the Kirlian uh, photography from before? That is precisely what it is. and But it's just like going from a one megapixel camera to a 15, right? Right, right. A lot more information, a lot more detail that you can use, and that's the same basic thing as the ground penetrating radar, where you lay the wires on the sand, and the ones that you get from space. Right. It's just way. It's like a 4K TV, right? It's much, much, much better. And so um, I wanted to see what the effect of the Great Pyramid would be on the human aura and the chakra system, looking for um, entrainment between the chakras, because spending so much time in the Great Pyramid, starting in 1977. Uh, I I was starting to be pretty sure that it was contributing to me becoming more psychic. And I wondered if I, that could be measured scientifically. Mm-hmm. So I did a longitudinal study uh, going from 2010 to 2012 with hundreds of readings of people who had spent two minutes inside the sarcophagus. So I measured them on a baseline away from the pyramid at the hotel. And then they got into the sarcophagus for two minutes and then came out and immediately did the test and then a post-test um, later to see about the integration. And uh, it was a quantitative research study, uh, very, very high statistical probability that there's less than one in a thousand chances that it happened by accident. And uh, Hakeem would talk about 360 senses that were dumbed down to five. 
And what would that look like? And so, you know, I stood a goddess in a sphere and all the cross quarter points are places of transmodal connectivity. So the essence scientifically is looking at the um, term synesthesia, uh, meaning cross-sensory perception. Mm -hmm. So you would hear a picture and see music, right? And, and, and all things in between. So when there is communication between the auric field and the, the chakra system that's connected to the glands, we get more information, which is like the hair standing up on your arms and, you know, and, and, and a feeling of uh, even repulsion. You know, it's like it's, it's information. You don't know why somebody talking to you, it gives you the sense that they're lying, but something is telling you and that the more that we can open up and, and, and um, engage these um, cross-sensory perception, the more psychic we become. And so I actually was able to demonstrate that um, scientifically. Wow. So you, so you showed increased coherence between the chakra um, auras sort of uh, after being in the tomb of the Great Pyramid? It's not a tomb. A consciousness device. <laughs> Sorry, the, the Faraday cage that brings you out of body? <laughs> pardon, pardon? I mean the Faraday cage that induces out-of-body experiences, that place? No, it, it in, no it's, that's a separate thing altogether. Um, the pyramids, I think, were used, the so-called sarcophagus, I think it was used by high-level initiates in formal rituals to practice leaving the body in an attempt to understand how to navigate the dimensional fields once we drop this earthly incarnation. Wow. And so that would start to break apart the hold that 3D reality has on us and allow them, but the trick was to return. Right. So, um, yeah, I think, I think that there's, there's a lot that went on in there that uh, was contributing to consciousness. And so, there's a lot that's going on in our culture that's taking consciousness away or not allowing it to develop. Yeah, well, it's only a matter of time before the science and like we had the heart math guys on here once as well, right? And even just showing the difference between the coherence of your the, your heart signature being in a state of love or hate mm -hmm. is different. So, I mean, it's it's all going to start to seep into the mainstream, I believe, eventually just to show, you know, what that our spiritual state is can be shown scientifically or however you want to describe it. So what was the, what was the part uh, that I interrupted you on there? So you, you showed that increased coherence from people that were in the Great Pyramid then? Oh, absolutely. Yes, absolutely. Very, very strong results. Um, yeah, a strong statistical correlation that it didn't happen by accident. One less than a thousand. Less than one in a thousand that it happened by accident. But the other thing is that I think what people are doing is they're looking to uh, the internet and alternative media more than the real media and real media and TV is kind of weakening and, and people are less interested. And so it's more of a fertile ground to make these kinds of discoveries and to turn this into what's common. You know, this is, be this is becoming a normal, th th these kinds of correlations, but it, to me, it's all matriarchal where it's, um, and, and, and again, it doesn't mean women are dominating men. It means that things are relating to each other and what's hidden is open and, and what's symbolic is, is valued and collaboration and new ways of being and thinking that bring us together that are about being healthy and natural. And all of the other things are making us unhealthy and it's all unnatural. So as people, you know, start to look and poke, poke a little hole and look through and say, wait a minute, I don't. And then once you start to question, you usually keep questioning. 
And I think that, there, that this movement is really gaining momentum. Yeah, yeah. And then there's some really cool stuff you're doing lately, like with, with basically utilizing some of the the newest technology. You, Darren, and I were talking about your quadcopters at ancient sites and some potential for 3D, uh, 360 degree viewing. Do you want to talk about some of the cooler, newer stuff coming up? Yeah, well, it's it's not potential because I got the final well, <laughs> yeah. model of thing today. And so um, uh, quadcopter is uh, 4,000 pixels across and uh, it's aerial footage. And uh, there's a technique, there's two different um, apps. One's called Drone Deploy and the other one's called Pix4D. And basically it's an automatic program where you set up these parameters of your location. The GPS shows up on, and usually you're just running it off a cell, a smartphone in, in, in the joysticks that run the quadcopter. And so there's seven different checks. It's complicated. Firmware, battery power, um, it, it, things. GPS, yes, and you go through seven things. Mm-hmm. And then it, you know, check, 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 check. If you get the seven right, which means your whole system is set up properly, um, a little green airplane shows up. You've got the quadcopter in front of you. You touch the green airplane um, on your phone, and here goes the quadcopter up over to the site, and it makes a series of overlapping pictures, right? It's just snapping the pictures automatically, and then when it's done, it goes up, and it comes back, and it lands right in the spot where it took off from and turns itself off. So th- We need one of those. <laughs> it's really amazing. So then... Um, though the, you take the card, and of course I made the mistake of um, letting the data upload in the field when I first got it, and I went through 20 gigs of data in two days. <laughs> so you turn that part off, and then you go home and upload it <laughs> um, to their server. And there's something about the overlapping pictures, and you can also do oblique, so you have a different angle. And there's automatic ways that you can you can monitor the site, and the the computer software knows where to stitch things together. And what it does is it um, it exports to um, a 3D model. In fact, we were wondering if I was going to uh, share my desktop, and this may be an excellent time to do that. Sure. So here is Newgrange. Oh, Newgrange in Ireland? Yes, so I sent the crew to Ireland uh, with the quadcopter while I was at the Global Pyramid Conference. And this is, and you can see the trees don't work out very well, so you can just replace those. And this is a true 3D model. You can even look underneath it. Of And it made this automatically, so you see all the, the pointer stones and whatnot and how it's put together. So that's one of them, and the other one is Nose. Oh, that's pretty cool. It's very cool. So this is the one I got today. So you see how the trees are a little goofy? Yeah. Oh, here. Uh, but all of these different mounds mean something. And, you know, it's a lunation calculator, this. And the other one is a processional calculator. And so you can see how there's stones up here. But you can you can see how it's a true 3D model. And so then the animators take this. And then we've got all the calculations that James Swagger did um, showing that, you know, some of these sites are connected to the Pleiades and some are connected to uh, Cassiopeia and it's a serious processional calendar or calculator. And so then we have a 3D animator come and put the sky back on 
And so you can see the sky ground correlation within that. But then the next step is we have a 4D, four-dimensional engineer who says that if we have true 3D animations that you can send a camera angle anyway through, that we can have them and you can be an avatar on the website once we get there. And then you can walk in and look around and go around and just do what I did. And you, you become the one that sets the camera angle. So we'll have sets of these sorts of things and you can go and experience them. So we've got Stonehenge and we've got four stone circles or these kinds of things in Ireland and uh, Avebury and Glastonbury Tour and various sacred sites that are speaking to uh, a larger picture and uh, people will actually be able to experience it themselves if that works. But it's, it sounds like it's, it's the cutting edge and that it's really coming to us now. Oh, yes, but, it's not far and, at all. And all that on the PIX4D is free. It's free. Yeah. It's an yeah. app. You just have to be clever enough to figure it out. So I do have a crew here, you know, that tested things and, and worked it out. And, you know, we practiced and developed the skills to fly because you're not just photographing with this, you're flying as well. So that was one part of the assignment. The other one is getting our aerial footage yeah. of the yeah. place, which they did. So, um, it, it, and I got this today. Wow. And, and when he was uploading uh, to our server while I was in Chicago, speaking at the conference, and I was downloading it the night before, and then I was able to show in my pr presentation quadcopter footage, aerial footage, of that was shot the day before. Wow, and I had yeah. Yeah. So it's like, that works for me. That's great. We're really not far from... Uh, my sister works for a virtual reality uh, developing uh, game developer, mm -hmm. and they're using this this HTC Vive as the first uh, platform they've portaled to or ported to. But they're going to have other ones like Oculus Rift and all. But so we're not far from actually just being able to put on those goggles and 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 do what you guys are doing and walk around those sites, like physically walk around inside, even and outside and see the whole thing. I mean, it's it's we're going to be so close to like virtual tourism to these ancient sites. Well, and people don't want to travel anymore just in time. But there's another device that slides over your iPhone and has another camera in it. And anything you pointed at, it gives you the 3D of the couch or the room. Hmm. And that's not even very expensive. Do you know? Do you know have you heard of that one, Darren? The, 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 what do you do? It, it attaches to your phone, or it's, I used to have a lens that went on my phone that made it fisheye or telephoto, uh -huh. and so it's a thing that slides over the edge, and it's 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 almost big. It's a little bit bigger than it'll work on an iPhone or or well, smartphone or a, a tablet, and it has another camera on it, so it triangulates between the two cameras, and then everything you point at, you can take three D pictures of it. Hmm. Oh wow! Not even kidding. How much is the little adapter thing? I wonder where you'd get that. Amazon must have it. <laughs> no, they have them from the website, and I'm forgetting at the moment what the website's called. But um, three hundred and seventy-nine dollars US. <laughs> so of course I want one, and I wanted one the second I saw it. Yeah. I don't have one yet, and my friends are laughing at me, but I'm probably gonna get one. <laughs> what else you got? What else you got going on in the future? Any conferences and other other types of uh, like you guys are gonna you guys are gonna carry out this this uh, drone copter footage and, and sort of turn that into a, a website or something like that? Is, there, is that gonna... It's another series. I've got the series called The New Atlantis, which is the sequel to um, The Pyramid Code. Oh, I see. You're... Oh, it's five episodes, and it's got original footage from 11 countries. 
underwater footage, aerial footage, balloon footage, you know, on the ground, on the move, from a boat, you know, it goes on and on. And uh, so that's what all this is for. Um, and uh, so I, I'm going to be going, okay, I'm going to meet, uh, okay, Bruce Cunningham from Ancient Mysteries International is pulling together a multi-country conference in April. And he's invited Klaus Don, all the key players that I'm talking about here, mm-hmm. uh, Dr. Sam from the Bosnian Pyramids, Red Milo from the Project 12, uh, me, and inviting people to come. And we're going to go to Angkor Wat. Uh, we're going to spend time on a, a remote Filipino island off the coast of Cebu, uh, the Camotes, which is just fabulously gorgeous with turquoise water and white sugar sand, just the way I like it. Um, and then we're going to go to Nan Madol which is a very little uh, travel to site because it's quite expensive to get there. And so it's a conference, a conference at a university. It'll be the 15th country I get to speak in, which is kind of cool. Um, so it's a real university um, conference that goes over the you know scientific presentations of all these people. And then we're actually going to go and explore some new sites that are little known. Wow. And do, do people get to join you guys or is it just... Yeah. And, and, and Bruce is quite brilliant at making it as inexpensive as possible. The other thing is in modules. So if you want to come just for the middle part, you know, or, or then go off and do something else, um, it's possible. And so that's April, April 26th to 30th. 26th to 30th is the actual conference, and then there's activities before and after. Wow. So that, that'll be, like, a real meeting of the minds. Yeah, that'll be great. And so there's a lot of people who are standing up on stage and doing presentations, but there's not that many that have got original data. They're really doing scientific studies that demonstrate things, you know, beyond question. And so uh, this group is that level of science. Wow. Have you been to Rapa Nui yet? Yes, I have. That's, that's expensive to get to you too, I found. I was looking at how to get there from there, and I, you, I couldn't fly there for less than three, I want to say like 2800 bucks. Wow. Well, it's, a, it's like going to Hawaii from L.A. from Santiago, Chile. It's a seven-hour, six-and-a-half, seven-hour flight from Chile. Yeah, it's, like I think okay. for me, I have to go from here to L.A. to San Juan or something like that down in South America, and then from there to... Huh. There to Chile to it was yeah, crazy. Yeah. It was like it took me like three days to get there, two wow. or three days to get there. No, no, and you cross the international date line. No, no, it's definitely very, 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 very far. Um, but I was already in South America, so I took the extra little trip between Lima and Santiago, and then I bought a local flight from Santiago to uh, Easter Island, which is probably a whole lot cheaper than going through Expedia. Yeah. I think it was only $800 or something. Too. Oh, that's not bad. Wait, what did you think of it then? Oh, it's the most amazing place. And the other thing, though, is at the beginning, I was just walking around by myself looking for moais. And it's like you can walk for miles and never see them. You sure have to know where they are. And it's not a big island. Um, but these things are strategically placed. And as luck would have it, there was a big tsunami that knocked down that um, right beside Ranu Raraku. Uh, that major, the biggest one that has like the 14-foot statues on the 12-foot pedestals. And they had all fallen down. But there was a picture of what it used to look like. And then they photographed all the scattering of these things. And it took them two years to put the thing back together in the computer. And then it took them two years to put it back together in real life. And I got there three weeks later after they had finished. Oh, so bonus. that was all really cool. Uh, yeah, it's, it's fascinating. There's no question. 
There's a bunch of, uh, like, I think a lot of the excavations for that are uh, underwater. A lot of the old quarries are, are now succumbed to the water. Well, that whole area down in Southeast Asia, you know, they, I, I, I lived in Taiwan. I worked as a professor there, and I, I traveled a lot in Southeast Asia. And if you go to folk music, folk, folk dancing, villages of the past, that sort of thing, it's all the same. They all wear red, white, and black. They all have spirals. Their boats are all the same um, design, and they wear feathers. And, and, and if you take pictures of all of them, you'll go, but there's something much more similar to all of these different um, mountain tribes uh, that go from one end to the other. So we know that there's, there's a big change in the water table. Yeah. Big change. So when, is your, uh, when does your show come out, the, uh, the new one? It's, 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 I was hoping to have it done by July, and of course you run into editorial delays and whatnot. So I'm not exactly sure, but um, I'd be hard-pressed to have it take longer than October. But this is a huge undertaking. You yeah, know, yeah. Original music composed, and it has to make sense, and there's a lot of things. Like Atlantis is quite obscure, so I'm really looking to show what do we know now about Atlantis and, and you know, how we've been misguided to think it's all a fantasy and so if I thought the pyramid code was a challenge, this is a lot more of a challenge, but I'm getting there. I've got, I've got all my footage. Um, I've been working with an animation team for four months. Um, so do you have any yeah. distribution rights in place yet? Uh, well, I'm, I'm working on that. I'm just been waiting actually on pins and needles for uh, confirmation about how that's going. Um, so it could be really good. And there's some other um, places that I've been invited for either extra episodes or another project but to film I, I could right okay. there's three twenty five foot giants in Ecuador and uh there's uh three thousand artifacts that were found in the Pyramid of the Feathered Serpent at Teotihuacan. And so I've been invited to film that and it it, it could go far and wide because this is like cutting edge brand new stuff. So there's some pretty high level um in possibilities for that yeah it's kind of hard not to just uh jump into that you know if the, even if you have to delay your other project that's kind of hard to pass up yeah, both and yeah so wow that's so do you think of atlantis as a, as a as a one singular place or more of a culture that was all over the place yeah all over the place worldwide seafaring culture yeah so and do you think what we called like HDD in school sorry do you think it was like kind of like how we refer to Earth today? What do you mean by that? Like we, we all live on Earth. Like was that what they were calling the planet, or like did they refer to themselves as Atlanteans? Well, okay, so that that's just a specificity that's far too hard to conclude. For anyone, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, that's you know who built the pyramids um, exactly? Oh, the Anunnaki, but that doesn't give us. That's not true. But that's From what Nibiru? people like to say. It's one word, and yeah, yeah, we know who did it, and we know when they did it, and what they called themselves. But, you know, there's lots of clues that fit the, the idea together and show um, that Plato really was uh, speaking the truth. But we have been over-focused uh, looking for it in the West and Santorini and all of that. That doesn't mean it wasn't there. Um, but I've got some very, very conclusive information about um, tying the whole thing together and making perfect sense of what Plato was talking about on 33 different points. Okay, this 33 so keeps coming up. What they ate, no, but the things like, uh, you know, that had dolphins and, and, and whales and, you know, the kinds of horses and, and, and really right down to the DNA of certain fruit 
and the seasons and all the details that he spoke about, you know, you can get like 42% of those at Troy or something, but you can't get 100% of them. There's only one place that's got 100% of them, and I'm going to make you wait to see the new Atlantic. Uh, <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> October? So hopefully this year anyways, right? Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. And it could go faster. Like once we get this new situation in place, it could be that the, we get a really big team of animators, or sorry, of uh, editors to make it go much faster. Right, right. So it's just, it's just, it's, you can't believe how much footage and how much, how many stories. And so it really needs to have, the problem is, is that um, many people who start out wanting to do editing for it don't understand the material. And so it's really hard to, to make sense of it and to um, not get bogged down going, what is all this stuff? Because it's new. It's not something, it's not a repetition of anything you've seen before as the pyramid code wasn't either. Yeah, it must be hard to let that go, like to subcontract the editing. for you, you, you must want to just go through it all yourself because, like you said, you don't want to be leaving out very important, you know, little pieces of the puzzle that somebody just thinks, uh, you know, is not relevant. Well, I can't just hand over the whole thing and say, here, find a story. That's not how it's done. That may be how they do the bachelorette, but that's not... <laughs> <laughs> you got three months of footage. You got ten people find yeah. a story. Start yeah. with people who are crying. Yeah. <laughs> but with this, you know, everything in there is in there for a reason, and the story is in me. So it absolutely necessitates that I can see and give feedback, and or you know, organize the team. And they don't do anything just because they think so. It's got to be strategic. Are you going to get more into into? Uh speculating on old technologies and, and crystal power and that kind of thing. It's all there. Yeah. Cause I'm, I'm, I'm fascinated to see that. Cause I think there's something as well with crystals. I want to do a show getting, getting into more what, on what? The crystals. Cause there is a, you know, there's that, that, uh, is it piezoelectric, uh, oh, yeah. electricity that. that comes off it? I mean, there is something there, but I mean, it's just such, it's just got such a new age sort of bad rap in a way, but I, you know, like well, this is old age. This is this is way back then. And the other thing is, the pyramid code gave us a sense of the the possession of the equinox is twenty six thousand years. Well, twenty six more and twenty six more. Like we can start tracking time in a different way, and imagine that this you know culture developed and lived peaceably for a long time. But again, just the same thing as the pyramids or tombs, which isn't true. We try to say the Atlanteans were doing all these experiments with animals and humans, and they got corrupt, and God sent the flood. Well, we're long overdue for a flood if corruption is causal to floods. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what are you going to do with the uh, <clears throat> Coral Castle uh, content? It's part of it. It's part of the story. Oh, is it? Oh, perfect. Oh, nice. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm going to, you know, and I've got... Uh, James uh, interviewed talking about that material, and then I've got a full shoot with the quadcopter footage that I took myself um, <laughs> at Coral Castle, and uh, we're telling the story. We're interweaving all these stories of the old and the new, and what was the technology, and yep. So, okay, so what about, what about it? are you going to try to incorporate this new stuff about the giant's bones in Ecuador and all that? I mean, that could fit in there as well. Well, it's part of the original treatment because I was invited. We thought we were going to be able to do an excavation there, uh, and then it got delayed. So I was signed on to be the one that did the videography. And uh, anyway, so uh, we won't finish it by the time. Right, um, right. Not sure if, you know, we'll see, or it, it'll, 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 there's going to be more than five episodes here. There's, right. 
there's lots more stories to tell, particularly if I'm properly funded. Then we just go to all these places and tell all the stories or many of them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's such a big challenge, the funding, yeah. Well, for sure, it is. For sure, for sure. So, is there anything you think uh, that we we left out that you want to mention before we start wrapping it up? It's already been over an hour. It's flown by. Yeah, I suspected it would fly by. Well, just the evidence of matriarchal cultures, like at Gobeki Tepe and Katal Hayuk, and all these places in Turkey that have evidence of Amazon priestesses forty two thousand years old and that sort of wow. thing. Ironically, like, in Turkey. Well, it's all very ironic, you know, like even Greek and Greek thing, what's going on in Greece and play, and even like on the, the Turkey Syria border, Syria border. And now I'm thinking in terms of the planetary system. Um, but there's, yeah, there's lots of monkey business, but there is a find that I've also been privy to um, see pictures of that were just taken with cell phones. That's not very old at all. And it's absolutely enormous. I've got 147 pictures and eight movies of roomfuls of stuff that were found in like actually 10 rooms in a, in a mountain in an undisclosed uh, location. Um, that's all matriarchal artistic gold, angels, feminine goddesses, and not a single spear or warring anything. And so this is the jackpot. I'm telling you. Wow. Can you, can you, can you give us a continent? No. Not even a continent? No. Okay, that's fine. Hemisphere? <laughs> How about a hemisphere? It's on Earth, right? It's on Earth. Yeah. In the northern hemisphere. Okay. You got that. Anyway, but um, again, though, monkey business, government controls, who knows what. I don't know if we'll get in there, but if, well, I do have this footage now, and I don't have to hide it. I will hide it until we know if we're going to go in there. Yeah. But just like with the, Hawara, um, we've got the scan, we've got the details, um, this, this stuff exists. And so to me, having studied matriarchal cultures and looking at all the goddess-centered things all over the world for all these decades, uh, it's, it's totally ironic that somehow I was told about this. And you can Google it and you're not going to find anything because nothing's out of the bag yet. Yeah. So... Um, in other words, lots of material for, for other series and other episodes. Yeah, that's great. And and that's a real paradigm-changing stuff because we're, we we think that it, our history was just full of war constantly and that that's just a part of human nature. And I don't buy that. I think we're more cooperative in nature than, than competitive. And I, I it pisses me off the whole you know thing about it always comes back to, oh, we're always, a, you know, we're always at war. We're always trying to beat each other up and all that. I don't, I don't buy it. History is when the soldiers came. Yeah. And yeah. there was all, all kinds of life and cooperation and health and beauty and no taxes, utilities, insurance, or interest. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's a whole other subject. <laughs> interest and is a bit. somebody wants to make it free, get rid of them. Yeah. Right you on. Know, having to work and just being able to be creative and everybody, everybody you know, works in the garden and gets it organized and... We do it all together? Yeah, yeah. Can we Magic. still have our iPads? <laughs> yeah, sure. Doesn't mean that we can't be technologically advanced. Mm-hmm. Hmm. So thanks well, for coming on, Karma. It's been great chatting with you. <laughs> Thank you. My pleasure. I can't wait till it's such exciting times, man. All these discoveries. It gives me hope that, that uh, we're going to get to see some more stuff in the next couple of years. I can't wait till October on hopefully Netflix. Yeah. 
and then. <laughs> but I have Amazon Prime and stuff too, so. So, oh. so we'll see. It could be sooner than that. I, I just I don't want to say. Um, it's just. It, but I'm telling you, it's taken a long time to get it to this point. So yeah. Yeah, this is the, the definitely the tail end of it. Well, whatever whatever format you come out on, whatever platform you come out on, I'll I'll purchase it and I'll be watching it. So, okay, right on. Well, thanks so much, Carmen. You're welcome. Okay, take Bye-bye. care. Bye. And what? Oh, it could not get audio data. Try after the button is clicked. No? No. Stop that? Stop that. <laughs> that was a chat with Carmen Bolte? Yeah. Yeah, what a good sport, eh? Yeah, I didn't realize she was the creator of the entire creator. I thought she was just in it. No. Mm-hmm. I bet you most of our listeners have seen it. I would guess. Yeah, that was... uh, I've seen it two or three times, I think. It's one of those ones I can just throw on. On like a Saturday night or whatever when you're on the couch. I'll just cycle through them all. It's really kind of open. I thought Egypt, like, you know, we've done it before a little bit. And I always think, oh, you know, there's not much new stuff there. But even though the pyramid code is older, it kind of opened my eyes a little bit. Laval's in it quite a bit. Yeah, and then this book with from James Brown is really. I think you're gonna dig it. It's it's kind of scientific, like as far as like, hey, this is what it could be. You just like the nipple clips. I do the gold, solid gold, solid gonna, gold I'm nipple clips. I'll volunteer for for James. He's melting down your old necklaces, your old '80s necklaces, getting them <laughs> turned into nipple clips. Well, you know, my motorcycle battery might be just right. Twenty volt. That's yeah. the trick. What if we just fray some wires and touch your nipples? It's not about the nipples. That's just oh. a, one of the zones. We'll hook one. We'll wrap one you around your gold testicles. Around your, gold around your fingertips and your sandals. And, and you have the Midas touch. Yeah. So we'll talk more about that. What did you think about the interview? It was good. Yeah. 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 Ex- exciting stuff. She's been touring around Egypt for so long, and she's got lots of uh, cool documents. Hopefully we can put some of that in the... I can't wait for the new um, series. Yeah. Did she say how many episodes? I don't think she did. Uh, at least five. Oh, perfect. Yeah. I'll look forward to that. Big thanks to Carmen for coming on the show. Um, yeah. Awesome. Uh, we, we might have, I guess we'll have the video of this on the YouTube channel. Probably. Hopefully. Well, yeah, we should by then. We'll have the video on the YouTube channel so you guys can check out. Uh, there's not a lot on the video on this one, but there is just near the end when we talk about New Grange, there's some video. No, and we'll throw some presentation pictures in there as well. You will? I'll try. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so other than that, guys, head over to Big Thanks to Carmen for coming on the show. We'll have to have her back on. I can't wait to see the Coral Castle shit. Yeah. Um, anyway, head on over to grimerica.ca slash support. Uh, sign up for one of our... Mu- <coughs> our, <coughs> our mu- yeah, I just did that to you guys. Our monthly uh, subscription plans. Uh, anything from a buck a month to to 30 bucks a month. Sign up for whatever fits your budget. Um, spam Graham. G-R-A-H-A-M. Instagram. 
Instagram me. You can find us on Instagram, The Graham Eric Show. Um, That's Graham. And all this stuff is... Uh, I do not there's do links Catterday. In, Catterday is not the, me. The links are in the show note for everything. Uh, so just find them in there. But yes, yeah, it's, uh, follow us on Instagram and send us some pics and all that or however we do Instagram. Email is, that works. Email is G-R-A-H-A-M at GrahamAmerica.com. H-A-M at GrahamAmerica.com. Yeah. And most important of all, tell your friends about this show. You can always do that by signing them up for the newsletter. GrahamAmerica.ca slash news. I think that about wraps it up. Right on. Thanks, buddy. Yeah, thanks for listening, guys. And we will see you next week.